Hello and welcome to Emerge, Evolve, Lead, a podcast for people in recovery from addiction who want to be better leaders. I got clean and sober when I was 24 and started my corporate career. And after several decades there, I left that job and created Emerge Leadership Academy, where I train leaders and coach people in recovery who are ready to step up in their career. My name is Maureen Rosjem and I'll be your host. Before I introduce my guests, I wanted to make you aware of an opportunity for senior leaders in addiction recovery organizations to come together and speak about the challenges they are facing at work. Come and meet your colleagues and let's discuss solutions. There's no selling involved, just support. Check out the topic of the month and register at EmergeLeadershipAcademy.com slash resources. My guest on the podcast today is Don Colliver and he is in recovery from codependency. Don speaks professionally for Fortune 500 companies like Adobe and Google and teaches public speaking internationally. He's a performer by trade and played with the Blue Man Group and toured internationally as a theatrical clown for a contemporary circus called Spiegel World. Don's mission is to help us all communicate with more authenticity, active listening, and play. Welcome to the podcast, Don. Thanks so much, Maureen. It's great to be here. I love what you're doing with this show. Thank you. Thank you. It's, I'm delighted to meet you. Um, we're going to hear a little bit about your story, but first, if you wouldn't mind, um, just introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about like where you live, how long you've been in recovery, what you do for a living, your family, that sort of thing. Sure. Uh, I live in the Bay Area of uh, San Francisco in the States. Sometimes international folks are like, what Bay Area? There's a million Bay Areas, <laughs> but uh, San Francisco Bay Area. Okay. Um, kind of Silicon Valley area. I live with my partner. She is a theater teacher in Palo Alto, and I primarily teach uh, at Google Internally, I do team building and public speaking classes as well as comedy focused classes. They have subsidized training for Googlers uh, internally, which is great. And then I also speak professionally at trade shows these days. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, super great. Um, I've been in recovery for 13 years. I um, came into Allen on 13 years ago. It, complete life changer, uh, fantastic framework for moving through life. And uh, yeah, I moved up to San Francisco about five years ago after 20 years in Los Angeles. So Okay. Wow. Yeah. So let's go back a little ways then. And let's, uh, you know, how did you grow up and, and sort of figure out that you might have a problem with I'm I'm going to use the words of putting other people first before yourself. Is that kind of like the, tell me, what do you, what is the essence of codependency and uh, tell us how you got there? Sure. Um, I mean, in, in the Al-Anon program, they don't really, I don't think codependent, it's not in any of the literature. I mean, there's a whole separate program, Codependence Anonymous. Oh, that's that true. Kind of okay. Focus on that. So really about how to deal with the alcoholic in your life yeah or just somebody that you has an addictive yeah okay thing that you have a problem with uh i think that the current iteration is is it's not up to me to define somebody's problem but i know i have a problem with it so i'm gonna take care of myself I so gotcha. 
Um, yeah, I grew up in Michigan. Uh, there were folks in my orbit that uh, kind of had addictive personalities. And um, I didn't know. I just thought that was how things were. And certainly in the Midwest, um, uh, I come from, I did uh, uh, Ancestry.com. Have you ever done any of those yes. things? Yes, fascinating. Yeah, I dug back and I come from a lot of miners uh, in Pennsylvania and oh. a lot of like the because you only a lot of times the only thing you can find are birth certificates and death certificates. And many of the, some of the death certificates were like cave in and things oh, like geez. this. So uh, yeah. but uh, I think just kind of in drinking was just a thing like it, everybody drank all the time it was and i didn't know that any different than that and it may have been a cultural thing um you know i'm primarily lithuanian and uh i don't know just like it just seems like in in the uh, orbit that i grew up in kind of everybody drank all the time and then you grew up and you kept drinking and that was what happened that's what you um, do yeah and then uh i got married uh and that was when that broke up after three years that was kind of the turning point that really got me thinking about uh what's going on with me uh because that was the first moment where i tried as hard as i could at something and it didn't work out and oh. i was like wait a minute i thought i did everything right you know and that kind of uh everything kind of crumbled and that was kind of a, a like an adult a, there's a, a subset of program is adult children of alcoholics which is another i'm one uh, i know yes, yes aca yes and it has its own literature and all kinds of stuff like that and one of the subtleties of growing up like that is you feel incredibly powerful. Like you feel like, oh my God, I can make this person happy. I can make this person sad by my little actions. And you start to feel like, pardon my French, but the phrase is you feel like the piece of shit in the middle of the universe, meaning you're terrible, yet everything, you're incredibly important at the same time. And mm -hmm. it's like holding those two things in your hands at the wow, same time. That's a way to put it. Huh. Yeah, that is definitely a way to put it. Um, so, I mean, that was, that was my first uh, impetus to move into individual therapy, which then brought me into 12-step programs. So are you saying then that your your wife in your first marriage there was an alcoholic or drank quite extensively? No, I'm not okay. saying that. Okay. We just, it was just, a, a, we was both just... tried as hard as we could and it, we just weren't meant for each other. And you felt powerless to fix or manipulate anything to the way you wanted it to be. Right. I okay. was like, I thought if I worked hard at a marriage, the harder I work, it'll just work. But I, that was not the case. We both worked as hard as we could and it still didn't work out. So I was like, what's up? You know, I, you know, one of the things I think we, we look at when we're in recovery at first is to go back to our childhood and we realize things like, yeah, we were conditioned 
right? To behave a certain way to survive as children in our either functional or dysfunctional families where we learn right away how to please mom and dad or how to displease, like you said, and we are the center of our own universe, just as everybody is because we're the star, right? In our own movie. And as we grow up in I think our, I think most of my job, at least in my twenties, I got sober at 24 was to figure out who the hell I am. What do I really think? What are my beliefs? Do I want to own what my parents gave me? Do I want to follow with this or that? And so in the beginning, I had no idea. I knew what I didn't want. I knew how to tear myself down. I knew how to say, this is wrong and this isn't working for me, this belief, but to reprogram myself with those new beliefs, it took a lot of work and a lot of years. I was saying for all through my thirties, I think, geez, I, I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. Totally. <laughs> and then, you know, even in the corporate environment and I just kept moving jobs and moving jobs. So, okay. So then you got into Al-Anon. Is that when you got in and, and how old were you like in your, in your twenties and your thirties? What? This would have been like 2010, maybe. Okay. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something like that. And it, and it took a couple tries for it to take, you know, before I really like settled in and got a sponsor and started working the steps. But, uh, simultaneously I was doing, um, individual therapy and, and I worked the artist way at one of at oh, some I point love that. in there, yeah. which is the speaking to what you ju- were just talking about of like, I don't even know what I want. Like that was so helpful of like, I don't even know what I like when I don't have someone I'm trying to please. Like, right. <laughs> what do I want to do this weekend? I don't know. It's always, what do you want to do? Wow. Okay. So, so what happened? How did your life change after you started really implementing these principles in your life? I, I suppose there's probably folks not in recovery listening. Uh, so I should say, I don't, I mean, the steps are so profound. You know, I, I generally, when I was in LA, I wouldn't broadcast like my recovery and I generally don't, but Really, for folks moving to LA, I think, you know, take an improv class and figure out what your thing is and go to the 12 step meeting for it because they're <laughs> both so That's like so helpful and just like figuring yourself out. And the first three steps uh, is all about like, I'm not the one driving this bus. Like, there's something, you know, defined by you that's smarter than you, that's got it. And that was, and still is the most challenging and the most freeing idea. No kidding. So what you're talking about is surrender and letting go. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's such a, almost an oxymoron. I don't know, or a misnomer to say that it's when you surrender that you somehow become much more empowered. Right. And it, it is a, it's just a, a dichotomy. It's so strange how it works. Yeah. It's so, it's like a, there's like a limiter of, because I mean, pre 12 step program, I was in LA, I was uh, working as a television producer and just grinding it out. Like I could never let go. I was always like, gotta work harder, work harder. 
And thank God I was able to kind of look at the people who owned companies and the people who were really successful. And I was like, man, I don't know that I want to end up like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the biggest, like, and now when I think now there's kind of like, I'm, there's like, it's, I want to say dumbing down. Like I, I just kind of limit myself. I'm like, you know what? I do the next indicated action, then I can set it down and the universe or whatever is going to take care of the rest. And that's different. That's a, that's a new behavior okay. that I've had to work on. So it's sort of like um, you do the footwork, but you don't try to manipulate the results. Yeah. Right. You sort yep. of let leave. That's what my, I used to often think is like, I want to visualize what I want in my future, but not all the details. I let the universe it's a handle thing. the details. Yeah. Yeah. It's a subtle thing. Like when my first sponsor, I was like, so wait, what am I, am I not supposed to have goals? How do I have goals? How I do I have goals and hold them loosely? And it's like, it's so interesting in this like world of podcasts, which I'm doing with, where there's lots of self-improvement podcasts. And it is like, you got to visualize the doorknob on your mansion, like, like manifest uh. this and that. And I'm like, I, that makes me crazy <laughs> if I do that. I will never sleep if I do that. Yeah. I, I used to do a lot of visualization of all the details too. And I, I finally stopped doing that. Now I just want to feel like even with abundance and wealth, they say, set your target goals and all that stuff. And now I'm just like, you know what? I'm so abundant and look at, and, and even where I don't want to be abundant, like I'm looking out the window right now and there's a crab apple tree and there are way too many effing crab apples on that tree. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that speaks to me of the amount of, you know, abundance that we have in the world all around us all the time. And I liked what you said before that, you know, like you were saying, I don't know if people who are not in recovery or, you know, are in the 12 step program listening to this, most, all of my listeners are in most, most, I I would say 90% are in a, a, you know, probably a 12 step program, but you know, there, there's so many other ways to recovery and that's whatever your spiritual, um, you know, aspirations are, if you can, number one, this is, I guess how I'm, I'm starting to explain it now. Stop. You know, there's no more victim. We're not things. Life is not happening to us anymore. Right. We're, we're past that. We know what hell is. We've been there. Now we're on the other side, but then for a while we come, we become so responsible. So life is happening by us. Like it's happening by me. I am going to make this happen. I'm manipulating all these things. I got the project plan. Here's the steps I have to take to make it to this next goal and all that. And then with maturity, I think, and an experience that you can't always create all those outcomes you want for yourself. You, it's a constant for me. It's been a constant practice of another surrender, another letting go, another surrender. And now things are more happening like through me. Like I'm just witnessing these things happening, happening, amazing people showing up in my life. Like I, you know, this podcast, for example, I am meeting some amazing, wonderful people from all over the world. And yet I'm still not really making any money on this podcast. I'm doing, and people say, well, if you're not making any money while you're doing it, because I get so much wisdom and knowledge and camaraderie and, you know, and joy from doing it. That's great. That's so awesome. And you're being of service. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. 
So Don, tell me a little bit about how you got into the work you're doing in your career and you know what it is that you do now, what this mission that we talked about in the intro to help communicate with authenticity and so forth. Keep share yeah. share what's going on with your career. Well, I kind of starting at that first heartbreak or whatever with the divorce. Um, that was kind of the when I started to less focus on television. And, uh, but at the time I was just like, I don't know what to do. And so I took an improv class and I'd never done it. And it was one of those things where you look online, like, what do you do to meet people? Go to an improv class. I'm like, all right, I'll try that. And it was one of those things where like the first session, I was like, this, where's this been all my life? I love this. This is amazing. And, uh, I probably was doing in the orbit of the artist way at the time. And so I was um, very able to be like, I'm going to keep doing this, even though there's zero opportunity for making money or it makes no career sense at all. I'm just going to keep doing this. And um, I just kept pursuing like in, and they talk a lot in 12 step programs about like next indicated action. Uh, just like what's in front of me, like what makes sense, go where the love is. Like I was making choices on that. And uh, I landed, um, I was in Portland, I landed back in LA doing a bunch of improv, which brought me into sketch comedy, which brought me into clown. And all of this was just making choices based on love. And where's, where am I, where do I, you know, when I walk in the door, and then I walk out of the door, where do I 100% of the time feel better? Like in pretty much, I would always feel better. So I kept doing that. It's like following your joy. Yeah. And yeah. more opportunities just kept opening up because I mean, I guess I had a skill for it or a inherent uh, talent. So. Um, well, isn't that when the doors open, right? More and more doors open when you are in the flow of your joy and following your gifts and you're getting, you get better at things that you love to do. Big time. And it's not, it wasn't part of a career plan. It wasn't like I laid it out, which I was used to doing. Right. Right. When I first moved to LA, I read think and grow rich that I think Nathaniel Hill or something. And and it said Napoleon Hill. And I wrote, I wanted to make a hundred thousand dollars in television producing in my first year and i put it on my put a sticky note on my mirror in my little crappy apartment in hollywood i of course did not make that and i just beat the hell out of myself the first three months of the next year because i was like what did i do wrong i read it every day i thought about it all the time i was visualizing it and so it's just like backing off that spinny part of my mind it's just not productive um and anyway so the performance stuff, just things happened, like the Blue Man, the Spiegel World Tour, all that stuff. What did you do? Oh, you were doing What's the that? clowning. You were doing the clowning around in the Spiegel World. Yeah, I was the host. I was part of a duo, host clown duo. And we would host like an 800 to 1,000 person tent in the round with a small wow. eight foot stage of Cirque, Cirque acts in the middle. And then we had like really crazy clown acts throughout the show and we were the hosts and it was really crazy. And um, if any of your listeners have seen Absinthe at Caesar's Palace, we were a version of that. Like, okay. and we, we replaced some other clowns uh, on that tour. So that was an, an incredible experience. 
and actually that's interesting because during that I started to feel a little bit yucky about performance because I was like, why I would come off the stage and I would feel really sad sometimes and I didn't understand why. And it's oh. kind of starting to realize I was getting validation, trying to seek validation through that. As time went on, I thought a lot more about it. And I think like I mentioned to you, I ended up landing on the only way, the only safe way to do that stuff if, is if I really sincerely am trying to be of service to the group. If I'm trying to get something, maybe it works for a little while, but I think it's costly to me and it's costly to the audience. Um, and so uh, I started thinking about, all right, how can I be of service with my skill set? And, you know, I started speaking uh, for companies at trade shows, like helping their marketing. Like I was like, I can do a thing that their sales engineers can't do. I can really help here. Oh. And same with and then eventually got me into teaching, which is kind of the total one to one of communicating. And that's why I wrote the book too, to get it out message out uh, to even more folks. Please tell us the name of your book and where can we find it? Yes. Uh, the book is Wink, Transforming Public Speaking with Clown Presence. It's available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble um, and Audible. It's, I recorded the audio book too. Oh, good for you. And that's awesome. It's weird. Like it's about the five P's of clown presence, okay? Personal confidence, preparation, partnership, imperfection, and play. But in personal confidence, uh, we're really talking about this. I'm really talking about the stuff we're talking about here in terms of getting all of that childhood stuff organized and figured out. Go to therapy, find your 12-step program, run the steps, get a sponsor, like keep running going through the steps, you know? Because um, if you don't feel enough, when you step up on stage, you're sunk before you even start. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. As a speaker myself, it's really important for you to do your internal work before you tell your story or what happens on stage. We start crying or <laughs> something. Right. And it's okay to have feelings right on stage. I've, I've cried before but I'm in control. I'm still in control. It's not like I'm not working it out with the audience because then the audience feels probably more like, oh right. no, she's doing therapy with yeah. us. <laughs> but they don't, we don't want them to feel uncomfortable while we're sharing our That's story. That's a danger in we clown work. Bring them yeah. with us. Um, like coming in, being vulnerable, but then the audience is like, I think this performer needs me to take care of them somehow. And yeah. I don't want to do that. That's not what I signed no. up for. That's right. That's right. Wow. That's very, um, that's pretty cool. Cause just that I, I get it. I know what you're talking about and being vulnerable is important, but only after you've worked on your stuff and you're not looking for that validation from your audience, you're, you still want to be giving to your audience, giving of an experience or, you know, helping them to reach some conclusion, but not that they have to take care of you <laughs> in any way. So that's pretty cool. So how did you get into Google? Just luck. I moved up here um, because, like I said, my partner, she started teaching. Uh, I was doing trade shows for tech companies. I would go speak in their booth all day long and do five to 15 minute presentations all day long, kind of use my skills to like bring people in. A magician friend of mine who also does trade shows 
taught at Google, taught magic uh, for Googlers. Wow. Uh, and uh, apparently this contractor, it was like a subcontractor, needed a sketch comedy writing class. And I was like, I do that. I've done it for a long time. And so I just bumped in there and started teaching and pandemic happened and transitioned to virtual. And I was able to do a whole bunch of more things and it just worked out really well. How cool is that? <clears throat> I just love it that I was in corporate for many years. And I remember once trying to introduce a class on storytelling and how important that was to do storytelling in your marketing and, you know, uh, that sort of, of vein. And they're like, no, storytelling, that's no, that's not corporate. I'm like, oh, you know, try to try to keep up, you know, try to keep up with the times you guys. But anyways, um, I've really enjoyed having you on the show today, Don. I, I, if you could leave some, you know, piece of advice for our audience, um, people who are looking to step into leadership, uh, but are in recovery, what do you, what do you think that they should know or remember? Well, I mean, I, I listened to your podcast a, f a few episodes ago about TM, Transcendental Meditation, and I think meditation to me has been a form of emotional intelligence, like building, being, becoming able to recognize when I'm starting to get uh, nervous or flustered, particularly in leadership situations and speaking situations. Sometimes <clears throat> a presentation won't be going well. Maybe I'm getting antagonistic questions. If I'm not aware that I'm starting to physically react, I will, I start answering in a way that is not productive and is not a way, it is, and frankly, to speak in 12-step parlance, in a way that I'll probably end up on an amends. And yeah. so- uh, <laughs> We call it like reacting instead of responding. Yeah. And rec learning to recognize the, I think it's called interoception, like being able to recognize the physiological things that are happening. Like oh. when my diaphragm gets tight, when my shoulders go up, um, that can be incredibly helpful in those high stakes situations because not it doesn't really give you a solution, but it lets you recognize when I don't know that I'm functioning at 100% right now. Maybe I can put a pin in this. Maybe we can pause it. Maybe I can just acknowledge that I'm feeling a little stressed out and be vulnerable in that moment. Um, Brene Brown talks a lot about that. For but sure. uh, I guess that's what I would say, like work on emotional intelligence, maybe through meditation. That's fantastic. No, I definitely, I love it. It is our 12 step, by the way, right? <laughs> Sought through prayer and meditation. So um, where can people find you if they want to find out more about you and buy your book? Great. Uh, well, I generally communicate through LinkedIn. So just connect with me on LinkedIn uh, at Don Colliver and my books on Amazon. And yeah, just to keep it simple, that's probably the easy way to do it. Perfect. And I'm going to, I do have some uh, links in the show notes to your social pages and that sort of thing. So thank you, Don, so much for coming on board today and sharing your wisdom with us. Thank you, Maureen. That was great. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, leave a review, and share it with your friends. You can visit us at EmergeLeadershipAcademy.com to take the quiz to find out what animal best represents your leadership style. 
And until next week, remember, you have so many leadership skills that you learn in recovery. Stop hiding because your contribution matters. <laughs>